0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this CX focused episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm senior reporter for the drum, Chris Sutcliffe. As you'll have seen across the drum this entire week, we've been doing a deep dive into CX and what that means for brands and the agencies who cater for them. We've spoken about everything from how digitalization has changed how we think about CX, whether it's possible to have a completely multi platform CX experience that surprises and delights, and more importantly, how you can stand out in a field where CX has become so ubiquitous as a focus. So to discuss all that and more, I'm joined by a panel of fantastic guests who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now.
1: Uh, hello. Well, thank you so much for having me first, Chris. I'm Jacob Harris. I'm a partner and known. Uh, I oversee our cross-practice engagements uh, across science, pra- uh, science practice, our strategy practice, and our creative practice. And we think about this as client experience. Mm. And so often our clients are coming to us to think about their client experience challenges as well. Um, Known is a 500 person uh, company uh, based in the U.S. Uh, We, you know, pride ourselves on being kind of a modern marketing company where where we've combined disciplines to make sure that we can service the marketing needs of our clients.
0: Very nice. And Richard, same question.
2: Uh, Richard Palmer. So I work at a company called Appnovation. Uh, similar to Jacob, we are about 500 strong, uh, headquartered out of Vancouver in Canada. Um, and we help organizations to build better experiences using all kinds of different technologies, uh, typically composable stacks, that sort of thing. Um, and I look after the strategy team in, in EMEA Fantastic. And John?
3: Uh, yeah my name is John Campbell I'm the managing director of Rabbit and Pork which is part of the TP group and so we do everything with voice and conversational experiences so with your smart speaker in the corner uh, which I'm not going to say the word because I'll set them all <laughs> off um, uh, and, and then all the way through to kind of having conversational experiences on a website or via a social platform and our name is a bit strange Rabbit and Pork <laughs> it's Cockney rhyming slang uh, for talk so some some come companies go for Latin or some say ancient Greek. We, we went for, for that because the trademark was available. <laughs> with the, with the, other, the other companies in our group as well. Fair
0: enough. Makes sense. And Jane as well. Who are you? What do you do?
4: I'm Jane Austen. I am Chief Experience Officer at Digitas. I've only recently joined. I come from a background of sort of like product and product design and startup. So I'm joining Digitas to help them build fantastic products and experiences for a big wide range of clients.
0: Nice. Fantastic. Well, obviously as part of our CX deep dive, there's so much we could talk about around this, but John, considering you were just talking about voice there, I think you're probably the best person to direct this first question to. So what has changed in terms of CX? What have been the major trends and who is driving some of those?
3: Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously we we have to look at you know, the change in circumstances, you know, or the majority of us here are working from home today and and that's obviously due to COVID. And I think a big part of that is, you know, the change that everybody's expecting to be able to do everything 100% online without the need to go and visit in store, Um, whether that's, you know, printing out refund labels, uh, um, finding out information about a product, you expect to be able to do that. I think what's going to be interesting is you've now got this hybrid working. So you've kind of got, People will still want that behaviour. Maybe on a Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, and a Friday. But then, maybe sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and then the middle of the week, people are maybe going to be going in in uh, into the office and, and working. So that's a major driver. And I think the other side of that is you've got. <laughs> kind of two like different types of companies, you've got modern kind of companies that have been digital first. So they've never had any legacy systems or paperwork mm. or problems like that. And then we've got some companies that we're working with where we're trying to build conversational experiences, but they've still got legacy problems of, well, you know, not all of our customers have our accounts. We don't have APIs available to do this. And then some of those companies are stuck halfway. Consumer at the end of the day is is using modern experiences, and you know, and they they expect that if one company can do it, then all of the other companies can have those same experiences, those same technologies. Um, so yeah, it, that's really hard from uh, a company perspective who's maybe lagging in that that new technology. Um, yeah, that's really
0: interesting, and I, know I could see a lot of nodding going along for the rest of the panel there. So uh, Jacob, could you maybe elaborate on some of that? Obviously, you're coming at it from quite a different yeah. point of view.
1: Well, I I think that to John's point, that that expectation of if one company can do this, everybody should be able to do this. Everyone should be able to respond in social within two hours. Everyone should be able to, you know, respond to an email within a day, Um, or should be able to just walk in or call someone and get an, an answer. And so, you know, I think for for our clients, when we think about our job to them as an agency. We're trying to make sure that we're that organized and that we can continue to surprise and delight like our favorite shops. Mm. And then as our clients come to us, you know, streaming services, uh, we look after for, for Warner Media and we think about how are they going to anticipate every client challenge that comes up when they launch a new service. And uh, And it's hard. It's really mm. hard. You have legacy companies that are trying to compete with the best new tech companies that have, you know, already listed out the 4,000 questions they're going to get via social. And so, yeah, it's, it's a great point. And I, you know, I think we try to take it as personally and try to, provide as good services we're trying to provide to give them the answers that they need for their clients. For
0: nice. Customers. Absolutely. And, and then Jane, I suppose the same question to you because again, you do come out from quite a different angle here. So who is really driving some of the trends that we've seen around kind of CX evolution over the past couple of years?
4: Well just to pick up on what um Jacob said um, about the disruption that so many legacy brands are going through. It's it's so true. If you look at things like you know financial services, there's so many startups who have got don't have the tech legacy and have completely different ways of working. And I think that's significantly disrupting a lot of organizations because they're startups, product like companies. They can be fast. They're focused on the customer. They have a culture of experimentation, of trying different things, of if something doesn't work, they stop it. Um, different ways of working internally. And I think that... Um, that shows that's reflected in what the customer experience is, which is incredibly high quality experiences and legacy companies can't match that
0: i mean that's absolutely true and that's why i'm i'm delighted that actually richard you're on the call as well because you can talk about that from quite a high level uh angle kind of a head of strategy here you're talking about how disruption is affecting kind of the wider market so is that is Effectively change being driven by audience, but well, not audience, but consumer expectation now around what the optimum, uh, I suppose, path through kind of their their journey is. Is that what is driving this need to be providing a really good CX?
2: Um, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. I think if the last few years has taught us anything. It's that um, we can never really be certain of what people are actually, or, or what's motivating audiences into action. Um, I was reading a report recently uh, that stated that 48% of uh, consumers over the last few years have replaced products they traditionally buy in store with competitors' online alternatives. So not Mm. even necessarily switching one product for the same product online, but actually for a different product entirely. And I think what's happened is they've been exposed to a much bigger array of better experiences from different brands, right? And suddenly, you know, to Jacob's point, you suddenly get next day delivery, you get Um, all these kind of uh, immediate kind of gratification and immediate uh, responses to tweets, whatever it might be. And then we impose those expectations on, on the brands. But I think in terms of the, Uh, the the consumer's driving them. Yes, they're driving them. But I think in a way, brands are setting that precedent by doing things badly to start with. (laughs) So I think uh, if we have to uh, kind of reflect back on ourselves for a moment, I think it's often uh, our own cause of of, of demise that's changing these expectations.
0: Nice. Well, that actually leads... Oh, go on, Jacob.
2: Oh, no, I,
1: I love that. I mean, I think that even the brands that are doing it well. I, I've never thought about it that way, Richard, that even the brands that are doing it well, setting some expectation of maybe even community that then when it gets into uh, customer experience and client experience, like, Oh no, we, we've created this vicarious community where you expect this and everybody else is doing it better. Oh no. Now, now what are we going to do? Right. And like that, that probably more than anything from a, from a, a, Edging out of the pandemic perspective is is the trend to to watch. Is like mm. everyone wanted to create those communities while we're all stuck in our homes, and now there's a there's a huge expectation that goes along with that.
0: Oh, that's see, I think there's so much we can unpack there. But one of the things I want to throw across the entire panel then is Richard was talking about kind of poor experiences there as being what's driving a lot of the the change. And in fact, in a lot of cases, like you mentioned, driving people to entirely different services. So what would be some of those cardinal sins that went about online CX now that we should be long past and yet that we're still seeing from some places
3: I think a I've lot. Got, of
0: oh sorry oh, hang sorry. on me, yeah we'll go to Jane and then John
4: okay so for me I think one of the Cardo experiences is just not having the right amount of customer understanding mm. um or sorry one of the Cardo mistakes is not having the right amount of customer understanding um I think um if you don't have the data to understand your customers or you don't have the, the data connected and you don't have research, then you make fundamentally bad decisions because you, you nobody can predict what customers do, as you very rightly said, <laughs> nobody can predict what customers do. Customers themselves can't predict what they do. So you have to make sure that you combine insight and data and customer understanding and experimentation to try and improve things. And so many places just don't do that. So definitely one of the cardinal sins of, of um, CX is experimenting, not acting on insight and just kind of doing things the way they've all, always been done with these sort of gaps in the experience that don't seem that important. They cause, like, you know, really damage your brand and the experience.
0: So yeah, I think that's, oh, go on, John. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think it's bizarre that, you know, I I was just thinking about my own customer journey of a couple of purchases I've made and I can't understand it. I don't understand why <laughs> I made the decision to buy when I did or anything like that. So I don't know how brands can be expected to. So John, what were you going
3: to say? Yeah, I was going to pick up on one of those exact points um, that Jane just made and um I- it's the very specific ones that around our area every all the gyms better gyms it's this national kind of app and the app has got a really bad rep on the the parent facebook groups because it's the only app that you can use to book the swimming to book the trampoline play to book the soft play and they just don't remember your card details And it's so <laughs> simple yeah. and they yeah. don't accept apple pay they don't expect goop Google Pay, they don't and it's just that level of expectation which we were all talking about before. And it's the 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 customer support for that is awful. And in the end, what's happening is people are going onto Facebook and asking other parents how the hell did you book that slot at this swimming center, which is brand new because the UX is so poor in the app Mm. and it almost makes you kind of go, I want to go somewhere else, but it's the only way to make the booking. And then the complaints are there to say, well, when you go in, to the actual place to try and book. It's even worse because they've not got the staff because of other shortage regions, et cetera. And it makes um, for a really bad customer experience all over. But the thing is, unfortunately, there's no other options. There's no other swimming pools. (laughs) So people just have to put up with it. Um, And the reviews are awful, but it's one of those kind of things that you have to go through until they make the changes. And um, it's just going to be a poor experience for customers. And people will then start to go, well, I'm not going to go to that, that location now. I'll travel further or I'll maybe go and do a different leisure um, resort. I'll go to the cinema, et cetera, because I know I can just book it much, much easier.
4: But yeah, until they actually see the consequences, they're unlikely to invest. It's really mm. interesting, you know, and there's definitely a big lag between the consequences and then doing something about it, which is a real interesting opportunity for other brands.
0: Richard, it look like you are going to pick up on something there.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say it's um, an interesting distinction between cardinal sins and, and poor CX, and actually where poor CX actually matters, because there are plenty of examples which I'm sure we can all think about, like you know checking out of Ryanair if you've ever done that, where the, <laughs> the CX is just atrocious, but actually it doesn't really matter mm. because it's not, you know, their, their objective is not to give you a beautiful seamless. Experiences to get a flight at a very low cost, and that's all they, <laughs> they really yeah. care about. And so, for me, what, what's I think interesting about this conversation is, uh, possibly, the bit that's missing is, is the underlying motivation that's driving higher for these CX improvements. Um, I think in some instances, it's just where you know new expectations have set uh, the, the bar much higher. So, Apple Pay, good example used by John, where you know, it's kind of like a standard. Um, but I think understanding the underlying. My motivation is really helpful because it stops us just measuring behavior and starts mm. um, measuring the why the why behind the behavior. Why are people behaving in a certain way? Um, and to Jane's point, that data is so abundantly available today um, that we should be using it. We should be using it well, um, but we shouldn't just be reading it and assuming that, you know, just because something's poor means it's necessarily a problem that you need to prioritize and fix today. But understanding which values and motivations drive audiences to change behavior and therefore fix those first Nice. So That's it's-
4: really interesting. Oh God, so sorry. I keep talking. Go for it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I was going to, I was actually going to challenge up, Richard, because I think the Ryanair booking experience is superb CX but it's just That's not very a, good for us.
3: <laughs> it's superb.
4: For it is superb for Ryanair. It does exactly yes. what Ryanair wants it to do. And they, they've expanded. spent a huge amount of money and effort to make it do that. So yes, yeah, a terrible, terrible CS experience, I suppose. But on the other hand, it's absolutely superb in like yes, making you does. spend more money them there. So I think you're yeah. you're so right, Richard. It's what's these underlying motivations. And you've got to balance what the customer needs and what the business needs. Mm. And perhaps Ryanair has gone a little bit too far in one direction, but I don't <laughs> think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify, that is poor CX, <laughs> you know. I think it's um, it's it's a superb piece of work. It's just very, um, if you're a customer,
0: <laughs> it, it's interesting that the second you know a, a brand does get a reputation for having a poor CX, it kind of snowballs and that becomes a part of its brand identity. You know, if you're not on top of this very instantly, you can become kind of known for being, oh yeah, it's a fantastic service, but you have to put up with a lot of that. So one of the pieces of received wisdom that we ha- always hear at the drum is this idea that interruptive. Um, you know, things that are thrown up in the in the path of a consumer journey or a customer journey or a you know a user journey are the be-all and end all when it comes to actually destroying CX. I wondered if we've seen anybody um really grapple with that in a successful way, or if you think that there are other bigger issues to do with kind of I suppose user journey specifically here, Jacob.
1: It's a good one. I don't know if I've seen anyone turn it around all that well. Um, like I can't think of an example of a great turnaround story. I, I, I think that, you know, the nuances of what you do to turn it around and like how much you can rely on the community depend on the strength of your brand and that, that love of like, you know, how many people are actually using this thing. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's probably some uh, you know, I'll throw that out to the, to the rest of the gang here of like, there's probably something there that leveraged the right kind of community moderation because there was enough um, there's enough goodness in what they had already done from a from a brand perspective, but off the top of my head, I think that you know it, it can be the the killer of some of mm. these things. It's it's that's what's ripe for competition and disruption, and um, you know, and it, and it's hard. I think it's really hard to get past that. Absolutely. Maybe the one, maybe the one good example, and, the, and I don't know if this is functioning in the same way is like the, the Nike sneakers app, right. That, that they, uh, the, the, the drop sneakers and, you know, you basically get in line and there's the wait list and I don't know if this is uh, the, the right, globally, right, right. but like, you know, they, it's Nike. So you're willing to lose a bunch of times. (laughs) And and, and there's a whole community talking then about how, how to game this. And then there's Nike kind of responding a little bit of, uh, of like, well, if you lose a bunch of times, you probably win once, right? Like there's clearly something else algorithmically going on there that they, they, they know about. Um, I love that example. So, the kind of you know, so introduced that, that, yeah. As, yeah as so an, it's, that, it's
0: against the best practice, potential for ZX, and yet it's part and parcel of them introducing kind of scarcity, uh, prestige back to the brand. So you can play with it in in a couple of ways.
1: You can play with it despite supply chain issues or other other challenges, <laughs> right? And so I, I think that you know there's there's probably some other good examples, but in my to my mind, that's you know the clearest place mm. for. For brands to win is if they can also serve as kind of the the chief translation officer for what their competitors aren't doing well. And like Mm -hmm. just jump in there and help get new people in the door because they provide better community management and better client experience at the same time.
0: One of the things that we'd, I'd be keen to get the panel's opinion on is whose role is it then? Is it the, the part of agencies? Is it people internally to sort of take an examine kind of the CX of their consumer facing platforms? Is it something that agencies and brands need to be working in tandem with, because obviously have different strategies, or is it beholden on agencies to kind of educate brands about what best CX is? Because a lot of the times it does seem to be a little bit counterintuitive. You know, the decisions that we make to, I suppose, present our consumers with the experience don't necessarily seem the most obvious ones so richard whose responsibility is it then to kind of keep on top of this
2: i think to a degree it's both um i think jane referenced experimentation earlier and i think it, it's i think it's the duty of agencies to push their clients to experiment to try new things to try the, what they haven't done before um i also think there's a, a tendency from clients or agencies to promote best practice um I, I personally don't like the word <laughs> um, for, the, for the simple reason that, that it kind of drives to a landscape per se right everyone knows what good CX looks, looks like and it's important but at the same time it leaves us you know every brand kind of lacking differentiation and I think that's what Jacob was alluding to is it's what are, the, what are your what are your moments to be a bit different and that might not look like great CX but if it's comparing, it differentiates you, and if it offers something unique to your brand that feels a little bit ownable, a little bit more tangible for uh, customers, um, then there's some real value in that. And I think that has to come from agencies because I think they work across industries and they can bring some of that experience in and kind of disrupt best practices. And say, actually know we think we should do things differently. We can experiment fast, fail. You know, all the great things we love to talk about. Um, but I think I do think the responsibility is on both sides of the fence.
0: And John, how about you yourself? Obviously, kind of coming from a, a voice angle on this as well. Is there even mm. is there even a roadmap set out for how you actually create good CX with that? Is it kind of the the availability of you know um, ability to understand accents, even stuff like that? How how far along that path is that side of the industry?
3: Yeah. So. <laughs> The, the everybody's very reliant on the technology providers so if you decide to you know to build an experience on one of the the the, the big platforms from Amazon or from Google, you know, you're reliant on what those platforms can can do and what they can't do in the features, et cetera. I think what's interesting is we've seen a bit of a shift to kind of one or two brands starting to say, we like the idea of a conversational experience, mm-hmm. but we don't think somebody's going to turn to the speaker in the corner, or we don't want to give our data through that platform for some security reasons but we want to maybe have a conversational experience within our app or within our website. And then it's all within our own domain and within our own control. Um, and, and because we want to get all the data, which was mentioned before, because we want to know those questions that people are asking about features or products. And if you build on, uh, Amazon's or, or Google's platforms, they don't give you all the hundred percent of the data, of the conversations. Um, so yeah, we're seeing that. And that might be, you know, a good example bank of america in the usa they've got erica their own um uh, oh assistant, yeah I completely forgot about erica which which sits within the app so you can't get it, you can't get it unless you're logged into the app um and then um, it's been trained specifically for that domain. You know, you're not going to ask it for the weather or, you know, um, uh, who's the lead the singer of the stereophonic. So they've kind of t- trained it to that particular um, mm. uh, uh, narrow use case. And, and in, in that example, it's, you know, it's also that the chance to, you know, use a custom voice and and, and get the brand over in a, in a different way. And we've seen that more and more now with, that new level of technology which is you know uh, a brand paying to have their own voice persona created um. so whether that's um you know kfc getting a digitalized version of the kernel or the bbc with their ambiguous it's not manchester it's not birmingham it's somewhere in the middle um voice that they've been using on to kind of read out articles on on the website um but yeah, lots of brands are kind of uh, have maybe experimented with Google and Alexa, wrote out, worked out what they can kind of do and then like refine the use case, but then brought it a lot closer to their own uh, website or their own um, app uh, to use it internally that way. BBC
0: should have gone for a good, good Warrington voice, you know, good Northern voice, very trustworthy. <laughs> yeah.
3: So yeah, I think it, they, mi- they mixed it in the end. And then the one that came out was just, it's it's some words you like, that sounds very Birmingham-y, <laughs> Manchester. And I think that was their point and part of their, you know, campaign to move the BBC up North, as they say. Um, so they didn't want it sounding southern <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> real slam on southerners there. So, Sorry, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. I'm from Warrington, so I'm happy.
0: Um, one of the things then that, that, that I suppose the fun part of the discussion is when we talk about the brands that, again. This right, whether that is entertainment brands, whether that is kind of the um, some of the your Netflixes, your digital services that are actually making the CX part and parcel of what they're selling. So, who do we think? and I'm going to throw this across the entire panel. Who do we think are some of the best examples of making CX? an attractive proposition, not just for browsing, not just for browsing their content, but actually part and parcel of the experience itself?
4: I think I'd say Starling Bank. They're superb. Um, Really, really interesting. Probably one of the first, the first digital bank disruptor. Um, and they have solved, They, I think what they did differently is they they understood their customers, what the customers needed, and they understood what point to innovate, and what point not to innovate, um, which features had to be killer, which ones they didn't have to invest so much in. By having that really, really clear strategy, they were able to like um, release quite quickly and make people so happy so quickly that then it was spread by word of mouth, which is why it's so important to have good CX. But just a thing I wanted to pick up on, we've been talking a lot about CX and good CX and And it's almost an implication that it leads to this kind of frictionless Mm. homogenous experience. And I don't think that's what CX is. CX is um, meeting a need and meeting it really well, but also having these moments of delight. And that's where I think agencies come in or brands can come in um, and do something a little bit different. So I don't think CX is this kind of like beige sludge of (laughs) online experiences where, you know, um, nothing, you you know, it's just it's incredibly easy to use and dull experience. That's not CX. CX is... Delighting customers by making things easy to use, or meeting their needs, or doing something for them better than anyone else, and and I think it's just knowing what that that thing to do better is. Mm. Uh, And so for Netflix, it was the browsing experience. They were fantastic at the browsing experience and like fast downloads. So you have to think, you have to know what your killer feature is. You have to know what problem you're solving, and you have to execute brilliantly. Um, And so yeah, I'd say Netflix, Starling, and then Lloyd's is doing a fantastic um, digital transformation into being like a real twenty first century organised organization That's focused on the customer, so I think they're a wonderful example too.
0: Nice, and thank you so much for giving me the the uh, the brand sludge headline for this article. That's going to be <laughs> fantastic, uh, Jacob. Who do you think is doing it really, really well then?
1: I totally agree with Netflix. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, in my own personal experience, there's a shopping delivery service here in New York called Fresh Direct, where you, you know, you get an orange that you don't like the color of, and there's 18 ways to tell them very quickly and get a credit. And it's just remarkable. And so I, you know, I, I think though, that to, to Jane's point, that the idea, the real idea behind that though, is that it's like promoting value and being part of their community. It's not just about like, Addressing the complaint or focusing on the negative, it's that if you are part of our of our brand and how you want to think about telling your friends about where you shop, you'll shop, you'll also tell them about the surprise and delight of great service when something goes wrong as well. So, like, I totally agree. I think that we often focus on kind of the 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 baseline and like let's make sure we got the four thousand questions they're going to answer but that the the community management of it and that surprise and delight is something that I think is you know what what brands should really aspire to, so um, we got surprise and delight versus brown yeah. sludge, so yeah, so that's- surprise it. and delight versus brown sludge and and the and the value of being like you know i I do think that that plays into the consumer journey to loop mm-hmm. back to your earlier question. it's like it, it may not be exactly what's consciously top of mind, but you remember the good and the bad together and then you make your decision. So Richard then, to what
0: extent is kind of that US, that UX, that kind of CX part and parcel of wider strategies? Is it, like Jane has kind of alluded to, what makes a brand really stand out is, is how the users kind of interact with them? I see he keep saying users because I only think about digital um, <laughs> all the time, but yeah, you know what I mean, CX.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, it's a good question. I think for a start, everything is relative. So our expectation of um, a brand is probably influenced by perception of that brand already. So if we're expecting Nike, then we expect Nike. We don't expect uh, someone else to turn up to the party. Um, but I think I think what Jane said is spot on. For me, it's the underlying uh, motivation that um, the, the, the best brands in the world are those that build their CX strategy around the underlying motivation. So let me give you an example. Mm. Um, if you've had a Lemonade, um, it's one of the fastest growing insurance companies in the world. Now, they recognized that, yeah, sure, observational UI, trendy, fun, great, interesting, whatever. Um, great uh, de- design, great app experience. You know, it's, it's all they do, all the basics really, really well. But actually, what they recognize is the insurance industry as a whole treats its consumers as if they're guilty until they're proven innocent. Mm. And so in a moment when you've just had your you know, flood in your house or someone steals uh, an item of, of value to you, you're then basically accused of being you know, trying to rip off the insurance company. And it takes 28 days you know, to process your claim and all that kind of stuff. And Lemonade went, that's not great CX. Great, great CX is going, you're probably innocent and we're going to treat you as innocent until we prove otherwise. Mm. And so guess what? Within three minutes, you're going to have money in your account. For the item you just made a claim against. And they use you know really smart um, AI to kind of um, make sure that there's not too much fraud going on. Um, but I think I think that's the heart of it. I think it's it's recognizing what the real problem is within the category, doing something drastically different to place the, the user at the, the real, real heart of it. Um, and, and, and Jane's point, it ignores sort of like the, the best practice sludge <laughs> as she framed <laughs> it, which is brilliant, brilliant framing um and, and really look for those moments of surprise those moments where you don't expect to be treated in a certain way but you are
4: yeah it's true it's like finding out what those those points are those where you can really have an impact based on people's needs um solving that problem 10 times better than anyone else which is exactly what lemonade does and then to jacob's point what you've got there is a, a you like know, almost like a community around it because people tell each other about it and happy making them giving them stories that they can tell other people people is that word is the major sort of fuel of growth that's that's if you can nail that um and then get people talking about your brand tell them how wonderful it is that's what that's the best kind of marketing at all and i think that's what agencies can do is they can identify these points these moments of truth they can help craft stories about them and they can sort of fuel the growth by encouraging people to share the stories so a combination of word of mouth and great marketing is really these the um Jet engine of
0: bronzer is another one for. <laughs> yeah, there's way too many metaphors here. I'm not going to be able to. Have, I'm going to, to, <laughs> Jane, to Jane,
1: Jane is great at the one liners. <laughs> I, I love it. I I think that it, the even back to the question of whose responsibility is it. It's like I think agencies often come into those, uh, come into these situations and are able to lead with positivity. Right. Are basically just able to say, like, we're a fan of what you're doing. That's why we're excited to work with you. And often brands need to kind of be reminded that they're not just solving for for challenges. Right. Mm. That you get you get to like reward good behavior as much as you also get to address complaints.
0: So one of the things that I sort of wanted to fuck up as we come to the end of the discussion is the fact that CX isn't related to one device. It's kind of cross experience. It's for everybody who's interacting with the brand for the totality of their time with that brand. Mm-hmm. So do we think that there is, I mean, what are the, first of all, what are the big challenges in actually making sure that that consumer experience is consistent across all the touch points that we have with them? That could be its own podcast actually thinking about it, yeah. but also how we, uh, How do we, how are the best brands making sure that there is continuity in consumer experience across, you know, all those different touch points? John, you, you obviously coming at this from a very specific place, but.
3: Yeah, I, it was a good example yesterday. So I was, I was giving a presentation and, um, I, I picked on a brand, unfortunately, to to (laughs) make that, that, that point. And, um, um, and it wasn't, they were doing stuff bad or it was good and it was, it was made.com who, Mm. you know, digital first very kind of forward thinking and it was about um i needed an answer to a a question on like the sustainability of their products so uh, you know i go go to the website and i and i I search and i don't get the answer via the search no we've got an faq section but then that's on HubSpot totally different platforms the main website don't find the answer there so then um, so then I go to the live chat and I get a, I get an answer from Sarah who says scroll down and you'll find a link John about sustainability it's at the bottom and click it I was okay and then, and then I, I went to the to the store in Soho, and so I, I asked there, and I got a fantastic experience. Lady brought up over a tablet, showed me on the website the icons, and, and then stuff like that. And then I thought, oh, this is this is getting interesting. So then I tried the WhatsApp chat, got a different answer, and got a different answer <laughs> from the the, the the other platform um, from Facebook Messenger. And so, my, first of all, it was thinking who is ever responsible for updating that sustainability statement when they get to 100% sustainable in 2024, which I think is their aim, they've got six different people and six different content management systems that they're going to have to talk to to update that information. And so, yeah, there's the idea of that, from a technical point of view many people are talking about headless cms Mm. which is from the idea of you know that it makes it easier to change your your front end but i think one of the other benefits of that is thinking about how do i now have a piece of content so that i can answer that question or provide that piece of information via an api in all of those different platforms. And it might be through to my app, it might be through to my um, digital display in my hotel, if it's the details of something there, it might be, here's an audio file of it, explaining it. And then how do you do then that across multiple languages? And so I think it's getting out of that mentality of we're building a website that's going to contain the answer and going to the kind of the, we need the de facto location for this answer. Um, so that we can be consistent with our messaging because that, you know, it's terrible. You give one answer one way and then, well, oh, I spoke to this person in the store and they said this, and then it just can cause problems in the future, but it's hard. That's a hard task. It takes time. Yeah. Um, um, and, but if, if they can do that, then they can be, uh, consistent. um, and it, it depends on what the question is. It's not really a a, a sexy thing to kind of having to work upon, yeah. Um, you know, compared to doing those things that delight and, and 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 a great experience. But it it depends on the product. But that's something that maybe brands need to start to look into uh, being consistent with that that content. And then in the long term, it's easier for one person to update rather than six people.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. It has to be. I think it has to be both. You have to make sure. You've you know you things are a good and pleasant experience, and then you put the effort in where it really matters to differentiate yourself. But I think to 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 build on what you were saying, it's not just a tech challenge; it's an organizational challenge. I don't know if you've heard of Conway's law. Conway's law basically says that you can see the organizational structure by looking at an app. And I think we we've all seen things like this, but this is Conway's law on steroids. That suddenly you've not just got an app; you've got a proliferation of devices and platforms, and so um, organizations have to change structurally they have to think about they have to work differently they have to um have, remove all the silos and now, only then can you start having this much more consistent holistic experience
0: see i think that's fascinating i'm going to definitely look up conway's law for this and probably start using it in every single article around cx for the next couple of years um Jacob, then as a uh, you, you mentioned, delivery companies before and kind of this kind of one stop shop aspect to shopping. One of the things that is, I, I suppose, difficult to get our heads around is the fact that these companies aren't just an app. There are people beyond that. There's, as Jay mentioned, kind of an, a whole organisation who is working to ensure that the CX is as fluid as you possibly can. When there is a single point of contact like those, like that app, unless something goes terribly wrong, how important is it that that is as frictionless and as pleasant a CX as you can possibly make it? Is it the be all and end all for that?
1: I I think it's the be all and end all. And I think what we also saw is, you know, that the company's treatment of that workforce, right? That may be just the delivery person. That may be, you know, it it may be the person you call and they get a question that's not on their script, right? So there really has to be a sense of training and ownership and... Um, an ethos of transparency, right? Like we all, we 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 rarely talk about that. That like you know, how, or we talk a lot about it. But how do you actually instill that in a large scale workforce to make sure that this stands out? And you need data and good insights to do that. That has to trickle down. Uh, you know, to the lowest levels of the organization, that may very well be the front line for most of your customer experience. So, y- yes, is the is the short answer. And I think that the organizations that are thinking about how to do that really well and enable um, enable everyone to have answers and to be empowered to answer questions versus mm-hmm. oh, I got to check with somebody or but you know that that i think is the the worst the worst possible outcome for some of these things that have have a new opportunity to really be the face of how we think about buying things right and that, like that's what's popped out in the pandemic for me mm-hmm. and um for others i always i always go back to um i'll I'll shut up in a second but i always go back <laughs> to like i i wear glasses i'm blind right and I can I can come back to the same glasses shop in New York Soho, not London Soho, and you know the manager knows my name and remembers what I bought last, and you know ask me how I'm doing, ask me how my son's doing, and all those things. And I, I use this as an example over and over because there's no reason he really needs to do that, mm-hmm. and like, but he, they have figured out that that is the differentiator for them. It's kept them in business. And so my my sense is, um, you know, for all of these things, the human touch is still terribly important and as much tech as we can put in and universal IDs and data and insights and great segmentations and all the other things we sell and do all day long. um, You also just really need to focus on how you're thinking about hiring, how you're thinking about the people, how you're empowering people. And that's good CX.
0: And thank you for reminding me to put my glasses back on. I'll oh, go on, John.
3: Quick example of that very quick one was uh, online delivery box, my weekly veg box. So it's 100% deal with it all via the app. Uh, we've just moved temporarily to a different house rather than building work. Guy comes and delivers the box and he's like, oh, you've moved. You've moved around the corner. Oh, what's happening? And it's just that little experience of that. He doesn't need to do that. Um, you know, and then he was like, oh, when are you going to move him back? All right, mm. well, we'll see you back at the old place. And just that experience, you know, will, will make me say, well, do I really want to save one, two pounds and change my delivery box to a different company? No, because it's, uh, it's, it's Paul, the delivery box guy. <laughs> now We always on a Thursday around about 10 o'clock, he knocks on and, and has a little conversation and a chat. And that's really strange because that, that company is very much a digital first delivery company, but that's that experience that I'm getting via their delivery drivers.
0: Nice. And, and then Richard, because I do want to keep as much of this in as I possibly can, you'll have the final word on that. To what extent is the human indivisible from the from the kind of digital storefronts almost? When we're talking about digital UX, how much humanity can you really get in there?
2: Um, I don't think it's a question of how much. I think you have to. I think yeah. you have to force it in at every degree. Um, I, think, I think there's a couple of things to say here. I think firstly... You know, if we hock back to 1974, how Stephen King described the uh, the way in which back, you know, brands are built and why people buy them, I mean, it's that the fact that every interaction with a brand leaves an impression. And those impressions form over time, as he says, uh, to create a total impression uh, or perception of a brand. So every moment matters. Every time they touch a brand matters. Um, and I'm going to forget the stat, but it was something like uh, you need five positive experiences to overcome one negative experience, or whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think it is about recognizing the importance of every single interaction, how it contributes or detracts from the, the story that your brand is trying to tell and what it stands for and what it represents. Um, but equally, respecting the fact that everyone is an individual and you have to understand what they're looking for. You have to value them as uh, a single customer, not just one of your many customers, um, and think about what. They want in that moment, why they might be asking. Oh, let me give you another example. Um, I think the, the, the second most important aspect of great CX today, according to some statistics, I can't remember the survey, it's in, um, but it's preempting customer needs and then going out of your way to sort of solve them, right? Um, well, that takes a human touch. That really takes mm-hmm. the, the human touch of saying, I recognize that this could go wrong. I'm going to do everything that I can to stop it from going wrong before it does go wrong. Um, and I think the best brands in the world are, are doing that. They have that mentality right now. Of, yes, get the technology right. Yes, uh, uh, minimize disruptions and, and kind of give that consistent experience, but bring in the human touch,
0: make it matter. Very nice. That's as as optimistic, I think, a place to end that discussion as a, as we could, making sure that the humanity aspect is not forgotten. So thank you so much to all of you for taking part. And to everybody who's listening at home, thank you so much for listening to this in-depth look at CX. Uh, Do stick around, go to the drum.com for everything to do with our CX deep dive. It's going to be going on all week. So you can go there, search for the tag and really immerse yourself in that CX exploration. So to all my guests, I wondered if there is a best place for anybody who's listening to get in contact with you, what would that be? Would that be on LinkedIn via email? We've had people give out their Twitter accounts. Jane, where would people find you best?
4: Well, it depends what they want. Um, so if they if you want um um strange tweets and um, <laughs> little rantings, um okay then so yeah you can get me on um by going to digitas.com uh, or on twitter Ms. Jane Austen. But be more sensible, um I'm also on LinkedIn and the LinkedIn URL is LinkedIn blah 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 slash Ms. Jane Austen.
0: It's fantastic and John.
3: Uh yeah, so Following on from Jane, if you go on LinkedIn and find me on there, you'll find me posting every month uh, the strange things that people voice search. So last month was people asking Wordle, uh, like what, yeah. asking Alexa what the Wordle answer was. So if you go on LinkedIn, you'll find me there, or you can go to the website, uh, wearerabbitandpork.com.
0: Cheaters, how dare they? And
3: Jacob, what's the best
0: place for people to reach out to you?
1: The best place is our website, uh, known.is. Uh, but I'm also on LinkedIn, and every once in a while I actually have time to tell people what I'm, I'm thinking about and working on, and that's just Jacob Harris.
0: Nice, fantastic. And Richard?
2: Uh, reach out to com if you want to talk business or if you want to talk pleasure. then <laughs> now You can find me in London <laughs> Bridge. I love coffee. So nice.
0: fantastic yeah thank you so much for taking part in the discussion I know that the audience will have got as much out of it as I have and thank you for making CX so interesting and fun it was a discussion that has been long brewing at the drum so I'm delighted that we finally got to have it thank you thanks Chris lovely to
1: meet meet you all